When a butterfly flaps its wings in China, that tiny change in air pressure could eventually cause a tornado in Iowa. Minuscule changes can create huge consequences. So what happens when one partner, for wholly individual reasons, decides to jump ship from a UK to a US firm? Over the last year, we've talked a lot about US firms in London and how their growth spurts have led to inflationary pay spirals. But it's not all about the money. The US firms have also upended referral relationships across the continent. Welcome to The Lawyer Podcast, live from The Lawyer Newsroom. And on this episode, we ask why a partner moving to Paul Weiss can create a butterfly effect much, much further afield. I'm Katrin Griffiths, editor of The Lawyer. And I'm Christian Smith, litigation editor of The Lawyer. And we're joined today by director of Insight, Matt Byrne, and international editor, Alex Taylor. But first, Kat, I want to ask you the first question. In, in that sense, you know, just for those people out there who may not uh, uh, cover the legal news word for word, uh, article by article, just give us a bit of background on how US firms have invested in private equity in London in recent years and, and how that has redefined relationships for private equity referrals. Sure, Christian. So um, speaking very, very generally, uh, private equity has powered the rise in US firms' prominence in London. Um, They have been the gatekeepers of relationships with huge private equity houses such as Blackstone, KKR, Apollo, and all that. Um, Now, those private equity firms are very choosy about the, the firms that they work with, the law firms that they work with, and those relationships are very, very strong, and they're often very, very individual. So when a Magic Circle partner has moved to a US firm, they will quite often bring a relationship with them. Um, Now, what that means in practice is that there are a multiplicity of relationships between law firms and their private equity clients that has completely changed over the last few years because we've seen a huge traffic from UK to US firms, but also between all of the US firms themselves. And sometimes that can be hard to keep track of. But for the firms that are reliant on those US firms for business, such as the major independent European firms, it's an incredibly important maze uh, to negotiate. And one of the reasons it's important is that those many of those major US firms do not have outposts on mainland Europe. Uh, they may, some of them may have invested in Munich, for example, or in Paris. But on the whole, they don't tend to go big uh, in terms of building huge offices on the ground. And that's where the opportunities for particularly the continental firms really are to just to develop those relationships, either through the law firms, but also through them to the to the eventual clients. Well, Alex, you are just back from a sunny trip to Spain, as you keep telling us. Um, Explain to us what you found out there about how this PE shift is impacting Europe. So this isn't just a solely Spanish focused thing actually this is something that's been mentioned to me tons over the time that I've been covering the European legal scene and what you have seen or what people are telling me that they have seen is that with each magic circle partner who you know let's say they specialize in PE for instance because that's what the conversation is about that goes to a US firm if that magic circle firm they left from had an office in their backyard, let's say Italy, as a good example of this. 
maybe if they had an Italian end of a deal they're working on, the likelihood is they would have sent that work to their Milan office or to their Rome office. Actually, now now that they've landed at their new house, all of a sudden, if you're Benelli, if you're Chiamenti, if you're Legans, if you're Parola, you're looking at that person and thinking, hang about, they're, they're a potential new client of mine. They're a new friend that I can make. And actually, we're in a position now to redirect that work away from... I'm sorry, Clifford Chance, I'm just going to keep using you as an example here. <laughs> we can redirect that away from Clifford Chance and Milan, and we can bring that to us. And then you kind of say, okay, the revenues of these firms are taken up quite nicely. And I, you know, I'll stake my reputation. These two things are linked. <laughs> <laughs> you actually spoke to Benelli's new managing partner, didn't you, about um, about what they're doing with their partnership. There's actually quite a lot of interesting developments going on in Italy. How are they looking to grow outside of Italy? And how does, therefore, what you're talking about, the shifts in relationships within London and the different the different sort of referring partners, how that imp- impacts their practice and their potential growth? So I think that Benelli are a perfect example of a firm like this. You know, they're kind of famed as the Italian end of the Slaughter's Best Friends Agreement. And I think it was around sort of September last year, we started getting a few whispers about, is Benelli going to open in New York? which would make sense for every obvious reason. But actually, um, Eliana Casalano, the new managing partner who's just stepped up, she was really open in saying that that was on the table, that was an option that they were considering. But actually, they feel that their money and their resources are better spent formalizing a group of 10 partners around really kind of BD stuff. We're talking, these are 10 partners, primarily from the sort of corporate M&A practices, whose job it is to be more visible in London and in New York. So instead of having a physical office in these places, these partners are now tasked with ensuring that they're better pals with Simpson Thatcher, with Davis Polk, with Paul Weiss, with Kirkland, the list goes on. So they don't need to kind of physically be there I mean, look, we can have a completely separate conversation about the sort of air miles that Benelli's now willing to rack up with this new move. But I think the plan speaks for itself in what they're trying to do. They've now got partners who are going to be in BD, effectively, trying to be representatives of the firm. And that's very interesting, isn't it? Because obviously, as you mentioned, Benelli has been tied very closely with Slaughter May all that time. They still have a very close referral relationship for a UK you know, work um, sort of inbound into Italy. But, you know, the, the big deals, the big private equity deals, Slaughter is not, necess- Slaughter May is not necessarily on. So the idea now that Benelli is targeting for BD people outside that famed best friend relationship in a very, very specific and structured way is a, is a huge development. And it actually is testament to exactly what we were saying right at the beginning. Once partners move in London, then it has a huge ripple effect with what's being thought in Milan. And, and other, you know, major European centres. Absolutely. And we can point to, you know, we can point around the best friends agreement. And actually here in a different location, you have an even, well, you also have a really good example with Debrow. Netherlands, massive market. They've got all four Magic Circle firms there. The number of US firms there is what? You don't have Kirkland, you don't have Latham, you don't have Paul Weiss. This is a great opportunity here for firms like this. So Italy, really good example of this, but Latham are there, but you don't, again, have many huge US firms specializing in this market. Madrid, Latham, also there. White and Case are there too. But then you look to Uriah Menendez. Uriah Menendez now has a really good incentive here to sort of increase what it's doing in London. And indeed, they took more space in their London office recently. 
Benelli, now formalising this huge team. De Brau, less clear on what they're doing in London. But I think the trend here is pretty clear, that firms now are seeing London as this huge opportunity to get closer to the US firms. And in countries where the US firms have not gone really, really hard, this is a real, it's a massive opportunity for them to carry on growing. Mm. And I will now, I will talk about how sore I was on Friday. <laughs> Because on Friday, you may have seen on our Lawyer News Daily uh, email, I had a little story there about what Benelli already had done. And it's once in a blue moon that you come across a lawyer like Eliana, who's so open and so transparent about what the firm's looking to do with its partnership. And that was trumped entirely by Matt Byrne reporting on Simpson <laughs> Thatcher's new London revenue. <laughs> whereby Simpson... <laughs> It's not my fault, Alex, if some US firm decides to add $100 million to its top line in a year, which is what the size of like the 50th biggest UK firm. It's kind of like a story, you know, and we're, <laughs> <laughs> like, like what we should do as reporters. But I, there I, you go. I'm sorry I upset you. I am. I'm deeply sorry. No, it's fine. I think it's important that we communicate our feelings on this podcast. <laughs> But my point here is that Matt Byrne trumped me with his story. And actually, I do have a sensible point to make here as well, because if you are a firm like Chiamenti, Legance, or Parola, you're going to be more interested in how Simpson Thatcher did. They, like Matt said, they added on nearly 100 million quid in revenue last year. So yes, you will be interested in the things that Benelli is doing, because, okay, your partners may have their heads turned or whatever. But actually, Simpson Thatcher's doing amazing numbers in London and seeing that you're going to be pretty interested and say that you want to be closer to Simpson and and actually Simpson is a really good case in point because Simpson is classically a firm with no interest in in developing uh, you know a physical presence outside London you know it has reams and reams of work to give give it has unbelievably close ties to KKR and Blackstone and a myriad other sort of private equity houses so it is an incredibly important work giver so just to break it down, Alex, can you just give us, I mean, what does this look like for these European firms? I mean, as you say, you know, the likes of Simpson, Thatcher and Kirkland and that sort of thing are just enormous in terms of the money they do. Uh, these firms make UK firms look minuscule. But on top of that, I mean, it's fair to say it probably makes quite a few European firms look even more minuscule. So how big a deal is this for them? I think it's a massive deal because it's hugely unlikely actually, that the kind of percentage increases that we have been seeing in Europe in the last few years would have happened were it not for the influence of what the US firms have done in London. And what are they? What, what sort of percentages? So let's take the, so the European 100, the annual report that we publish on the state of play of the 100 largest law firms in Europe. We have had three of them more than double their top lines. So there's Denmark's Acura, which I've written about on The Lawyer. There's Norway's Schutt. And sandwiched between them is Spain's uh, Paris Yorka. Paris Yorka's revenue has grown by 116.9% since 2018 alone. Now, Paris Yorka is, again, a really helpful example that we can take of a firm that now is doubling down on London. Their office is not in the city. It's in Mayfair. They want to be close to funds. They want to be close to private equity. They last, I think wasn't last year, it was two years ago, actually, that they doubled their partner headcount in London. Admittedly, doubled is a relative term here because they went from one to two. But they're going to be adding a third partner soon. 
they also announced that they were doubling the amount of floor space that they have in London. They're doubling down on how many associates they're going to bring to the city. So I, I don't think they're going to be satisfied with that kind of revenue growth. I think they want to carry on. Can I just add, as an aside, actually, those three firms that you mentioned, Alex, are the three firms that have interested you the most in the last year because they have been the disruptors in their jurisdictions, in the Nordics and in Iberia. And people have very frequently compared them to Kirkland, haven't they, within those jurisdictions. So there's a sort of, there's there's odd echoes of the London market that's happening over there. But just to come back to your to your main point is the the increasing importance of London as a referral zone, you know, somewhere you can actually go and get new business from in a way that I think has n- has never happened before. And, you know, we're not going to talk about Brexit here because it's got nothing to do with kind of overall well, economic... Brexit <laughs> we, had a, we had a buzzer. <laughs> Whoever mentioned Brexit first. <laughs> but we're not talking because this has got nothing to do with it. It's actually because the, relation, the relationships here are not tied to... Uh, you know, political um, or economic concerns at all. They are absolutely relationships between between firms and between private equity houses. And it, that's the thing that I think that you have isolated, particularly with looking at the the way that European firms are now approaching London. True. But, and you are going to slightly hate this. So an upcoming report for the uh, international channel on Signal that I'm working for, we essentially asked all of the European 100 law firms with offices in London, a similar range of questions. It was, do you plan on increasing your associates? Do you plan on increasing your partners? Will you take more space? One of the key questions that I did ask in that was actually how you second around your network and how you bring people into London. In Chiamenti, you may now have a new enemy here because they did mention Brexit, but we'll bring it back around. So Chiamenti said that Brexit has changed the way in which they bring lawyers into London. So whereas previously they offered secondments of 12 months, that's now up to 36 at the top end. And the last sentence that they included within that I thought was really revealing. They said the longest secondment also allows the junior lawyers to spend some time working with a foreign firm or client based in London, thus enhancing their professional network and skills. So yeah, this isn't really about Brexit. But actually, I think Chiamenti was quite revealing in what it said there. You've got now, instead of a 12-month period, you've got three years in which to bed yourself in. It's like being in the Tory and Labour Party here. Don't mention Brexit. (laughs) Nothing's to do with Brexit. Um, Well, this is a very good chance to bring in Matt Byrne, um, who has been sitting quietly um, waiting for his turn in the corner. Um, Not that quiet. Lots of of what we've been talking about just now, you know, is in many ways a threat to those UK firms that are already present in Europe, the likes of the Magic Circle and that sort of thing, who are now at risk of having their their kind of London hub being that that place for referrals taken away from them by US firms and then that relationship with European firms dwindling. Um, But Matt, you have been looking into how those relationships are changing on the other side of the Atlantic. What's going on there? I think the key word is is relationships. Everything that Alex was talking about is is about relationships. And it's something that the Magic Circle have recognized for years that uh, when you hire someone laterally, you're not just hiring the talent of the lawyer, you're hiring their, you could call it a book of business, or their 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 relationships with with clients, and so let's take Linklaters. Now we've we've spoken a lot about Linklaters recently. They've obviously lost quite a lot of people in London. Interestingly, their most recent big hire 
in the States is George Casey, um, managing partner or former co-managing partner from Sherman. And one of the reasons they wanted George was his relationships, um, his knowledge of the of the industry over there. That's the way they're going to build that. And they, they're very aware um, that their closest competitors, Freshfields, A&O particularly, are making, as one recruiter put it to me the other day in, in New York, a bigger splash and making a much bigger splash. You know, Freshfields are willing to pay 13 million, we're hearing. That's the, the, the top whack for, for partners over there. And uh, that's a, a ridiculous amount of money. And Linklater's, you know, know that they need to dig deep for that kind of, of uh, hire. And I think they're willing to do that. And Well, they're capable of doing it, I'm not sure, but they're willing to do that. So I think what, what you're seeing and what Alex was describing is just the evolution of the market. And we're seeing it in, in states as well. It's a very changing nature of the market. We saw that last year with Paul Weiss. We mentioned Paul Weiss earlier. They're willing also to invest 10, 15, 20 million for a partner. That's the nature of, of this uh, the market, the way the market has changed at the moment, and I think I wouldn't say the Magic Circle are waking up to this. They're very acutely aware of this, but I think it's brought it into in sharp focus with the A and O Sherman merger, which is now only what two months away. So thinking about the Magic Circle, uh, and actually for this, Magic Circle is a proxy for any sort of major business firm with a model of, you know, large, uh, large offices in um, on the continent. Alex, when it comes to how they are interacting with the local firms, is there is there any kind of juice left in that referral relationship? Or is it the case that the Magic Circle firms or the large business firms are increasingly segmenting and not being interested in the kind of work that they're not really referral agents at all for the for the big locals. I'm not getting as much of a sense of that. Everything that I've spoken about so far has almost sounded like the European firms are now breaking up with the Magic Circle firms and are trying to go out with the US ones, and that's not really the kind of way that I'm trying to describe it. Actually, it's just this kind of drip, drip, drip effect that has now reached something akin to a tipping point. And a lot of what has been put towards me actually is just that the weight of these, the weight of London as the referral centre has now kind of shifted away from New York as well. Mm. You've had this mass investment from the US firms into London. They've bought these relationships, as Matt was just saying then. Mm. And it's kind of shifted the centre of gravity a little bit. But I don't think that this sort of means that, oh, now, you know, Benelli's never going to work with Clifford Chance or, you know. These aren't. This isn't the end of days for these relationships. It's just as we've said, it's an evolution of this. They've become just a little bit more different, and the amount of attention that these people are paying to with what the U.S. firms are doing has become so great that you've now got things like, I think you know, as I was mentioning about the report, you know, we had what kind of twenty odd respondents. Double digits of those now are saying that they're looking to increase their London offices. I think we had 10 of them saying that they were planning on increasing their associate numbers, mm. eight of them saying that they've either grown their office space in London or are planning to in the near future. Like, eight's not the biggest number in the world, but actually for them all to be saying it at around the same kind of time. So what is it, where does this leave the UK independence? So take it away from, you know, Freshfields or Linklaters or what have you. When you're looking at the likes of, let's say, Phil Fisher that wants to grow hugely in Europe, Stevenson Hall with Charles Russell speech, you know, those kind of firms with, with strong 
very London-centric practices that nevertheless want to build a European foot footprint that are also interested in developing relationships with those firms. What What's your predictions for where that is going to end up? I think that's quite an interesting one because the messaging out of a firm like Field Fisher is that we don't want to compete in the US. We will be your European friend. So it's almost kind of putting them in kind mm. of more of a battlefield with those domestic players. So Field Fisher and a firm like Bird and Bird have the San Francisco representative offices, don't they? So they mm. kind of act as talent winning or talent referral winning hubs for the big tech firms into Europe. And if they're saying, you know, we're we're staying out of your background, we're going to be your mates in Europe, yeah. then it does put them, I think, more directly competing on the continent with those major key European domestic firms. I think it's interesting, that dynamic, because you, you look at a firm like Denton's, which is obviously gigantic and has got offices literally everywhere. Well, not in China anymore, but, you know, literally everywhere else. They have also got a series of network referral firms for people that they work with. So so a firm like Field Fisher or Bird and Bird, who are very clearly in one particular space, are not going to do everything. They may not do real estate in a particular jurisdiction or they may not do, you know, shipping or I don't know, whatever, certain types of corporate work. They're still going to have to spend an awful lot more time probably now because of these shifting relationships on exactly those where those referrals are, are coming back, that that renewed intention, attention to detail. In fact, I remember actually at the, the Law European Awards last year, you know, a lot of UK managing partners were there and they were really working the room with the international <laughs> firms, with the European firms in particular. So where, so that, that feels like something that's kind of on a, it's not quite on a tipping point, but it's certainly all to play for. And what was the one key piece of feedback we got for the European Awards? Was it a request for more networking time, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what, more? <laughs> You've got I'll hours. Give, I'll give you everything that you <laughs> wanted. <laughs> well, look, just to wrap up, I wanted to ask either you, Matt, or you, AT, whoever whoever wants to take it, really. I mean, as we've kind of said at the moment, these US firms have not, well, there's not a huge amount of intention from most of them, particularly like a Simpson Thatcher, to move into Europe. But that's now. What happens in 10 years, say, when uh, Simpson decides, you know what, I want to go into Europe, or uh, Kirkland decides it wants to expand more and that sort of thing? Um, you know, is, is would that then, does that then change the dynamic again for when these effectively massive global US firms are just going to start squeezing everyone out of the market? Well, yes, it would, but I can't see a world in which that is the direction of travel. I think it's entirely opposite. Um, I think that the big firms will focus more and more on global financial centres. Um, if, if they do anything, it will be to reduce their footprint rather than expand you know that's it's a it's a bit of a generalization because of course there will always be some firms who say it suits their client base to be in as many centers as possible but for those absolutely top firms to maintain the margins to maintain pep to therefore to maintain their uh, competitiveness in the recruitment market we said earlier you know they're, they're spending ridiculous unfeasible amounts of money to to hire these people you only do that in certain numbers of markets. And so it's, it's about doubling down, deepening the strength in the core London, New York and other centres rather th than expanding. So I don't see a day when the likes of Simpson and you know, numerous other, you know, Paul Weisses of this world, Sullivan and Cromwell and so on go, you know what, we really need to build our German footprint or our, or our you know, Spanish footprint. I, I don't think that's going to happen. 
Well, on that bombshell, a reason to not be afraid of US firms, unless, of course, you are a UK firm. <laughs> Basically, the message is bad news if you're UK, good news if you're European. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at podcast at thelawyer.com. And of course, you can find out more about everything and anything we've been discussing at thelawyer.com. We'll be back again in a fortnight with lots of new and exciting content for you. But until then, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>